The opinions expressed on this WebmasterRadio.fm program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and do not reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of WebmasterRadio.fm. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this program without the express written consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. From the pinnacle of the media landscape, this is Market Edge. Join your host, Larry Weber, as he discovers the answers from analysts, entrepreneurs, and technologists who are preparing the blueprints for the future of marketing. Hear from those who are taking us to a new age of social media, e-communities, and the blogosphere. Blogosphere. Now, please welcome your host of Market Edge, Larry Weber. Hi, and welcome to Market Edge. I'm your host, Larry Weber, chairman of RacePoint Group, Digital Influence, and W2, companies that have been organized to help chief marketing officers in their new role as builders of communities and content aggregators. Today, I'll be talking about the future of entrepreneurship, venture capital, and some innovative technology in general with Mike Hirschland, a general partner at the famous Polaris Ventures in Boston. Mike joined Polaris in 1999 and focuses on information technology, Internet, and digital media. He represents Polaris as director on the boards of Automatic, Black Arrow, Hangout Industries, Quantcast, and more. Before becoming a technology investor, Mike served as counsel to the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee, where, among other things, he led the Senate's Microsoft hearings and supervised the Senate hearings on competition, innovation, public policy, and the digital age. Previously, Mike practiced with the law firm Williams and Conley and clerked for Justice Anthony Kennedy at the U.S. Supreme Court and the Honorable J. Michael Ludick on the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. Mike received his J.D. from the University of Virginia School of Law. He earned his A.B. in history from Harvard College, where he played defensive end on the Crimson's 1987 Ivy League champion varsity football team. We'll have to ask you about that, Mike. But thanks. Go Crimson. Thanks for joining us on Market Edge. Thanks, Larry. It's a pleasure to be here. Hey, before we get into some of the specific questions, what's the climate like? You know, most of the venture guys I've been talking to have been pretty quiet the last six months or so. Is is the ice starting to thaw a little bit? You know, uh, to be honest with you, Larry, I kind of feel like the uh, the ice was put in a microwave a couple months ago. Um <laughs> The, the the industry as a whole was was very quiet for a couple of quarters, the end of '08 and the beginning of '09. But the last I don't know two or three months, um, we honestly have seen I think more high quality deals in a two or three month period than we've seen in a long long time. Um, kind of feels as if a whole bunch of uh, you know really high grade entrepreneurs came out from under the rocks a few months ago realized. The world's not going to end, and what we do is, is innovate and, and create companies, and so let's go do it. And I expect that when we look back on uh, uh, 2009, the, the second and third uh, quarters, probably second, third, and fourth quarters will be extremely active, at least for players. Oh, cool. Uh, and what kind of, you know, what kind of categories are you seeing, you know, uh, especially in the sort of whole, you know, digital media software stuff that, that, you, that you focus on? Are you seeing some uh, some... Real innovation happening? Uh, yeah, big time. Um, I mean, what, what, what I'm seeing right now is really across a, a, a pretty broad range of different aspects of the consumer Internet, um, a whole bunch of startups that are being created on the premise that the social web is changing the rules in a, in a pretty fundamental way. And so whether it's, whether it's email, whether it's commerce, whether it's digital media and entertainment, whether it's advertising, 
the notion that the web is becoming a social medium and, uh, and, and a two-way medium um, and, and one that is rich with lots and lots of data is, is giving rise to a whole bunch of, of ideas that are, are basically looking to create new, new types of businesses um, than, than the first generation of the web. You know, we're finally seeing um, an audience, this isn't a plug, you know, you know how I work, but one of our companies, Digital Influence, who builds communities for business-to-business uh, clients, just in the last two months has seen a huge increase from companies like IBM, uh, General Electric, spending in the 2 to $3 million range and, uh, on building communities that are very micro-segmented, and they're taking the money from television budgets. And i got to see that that's not a fad. That's got to be a trend. I, no, I couldn't agree more, Larry. I, I think that um, it's not just... Internet companies and web entrepreneurs who are starting to appreciate that the more social the web becomes, the more um, you know, the more engagement that that results from from web activity, the more value is created. And I'm I'm seeing a whole raft of companies that are looking to help enterprises and very you know the biggest of brands um, get value out of out of um, out of the web and the, and, and the social web. How come green tech sort of that that was sort of the the, the star of last year, that seems to have fallen a bit. How come that sort of has gone off a lot of people's radar screen? Well, I think it's two things, Larry. Um, first, you know, you know how uh, VCs are. We're, we're, we're kind of lemming-like in a lot of ways. And uh, um, when an idea becomes hot and exciting, then everyone flocks to it. And so I think, I think frankly, you know, you saw a lot of that last year where um, – uh, a few VCs started uh, promoting green tech and clean tech, and uh, some, some more noteworthy VCs did. And next thing you know, the whole industry was creating practice groups, and it was kind of the big hot category. And then I think what, what happened is, is kind of the typical cycle where it turns out that uh, there's lots of risks and lots of challenges in any sector. And in particular, in this sector, one of the, the big challenges is they tend to be more capital-intensive businesses, and the capital intensity combined with the economic cycle over the last six months made for a lot of pain in, in you know, startups that had been backed for a first round but needed a lot more capital and wasn't available. And how about the government? Isn't it playing a, a role in, in sort of maybe taking over for the, the, uh, the, the, the venture groups? Well, um, I think that remains to be seen. I, I think there is, there clearly is an intent uh, on the Obama administration's part for the government uh, to be much more active and provide um, a lot of capital um, in, in a whole bunch of areas of innovation. And I, you know, I, I think I think they will. Um, but it's one thing to to to, to um, you know to claim the the, the general policy direction. And even to, to allocate funds, it's another thing to actually put it into practice. And so I, I think um, it's still going to take a little bit of time before the, the gov- government subsidization of, of innovation is, is really going to be effective. Hey, changing, changing uh, directions a little bit. Hey, when did you start your blog? And how do, how do people, how do the listeners, uh, if they want to read it, uh, how do they get to it? So. Well, it's easy to get to it. It's uh, www.vcmike.wordpress.com. Um, and it's actually it's kind of a fun story behind it. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to remember when this was. I think it was in 2005. 
I was um, I gotten to know Matt Mullenweg, who was the creator of WordPress, which at the time was an open source uh, blogging software movement. It was just kind of getting off the ground. And um, Matt it has proved himself to be a uh, just a you know a, a one in a million fantastic, um, brilliant entrepreneur. And WordPress has been very very successful. We um, got very interested in what he was doing and and wanted to back him. And uh, at the time, of course, he was 19 years old. He didn't really know what venture capital was and uh, didn't understand why why he would want to take someone else's capital. He was doing just fine, thanks himself. We eventually did uh, did persuade him to to, to take some capital and, and form a business. And the day before we closed, actually the night before, Matt and I were, were having a burger, and I was having a beer, but he wasn't yet of age, so he couldn't have a drink. Um, <laughs> he said, so, and, and this is almost a verbatim quote, quote it's like, well, dude, if, if you're going to be my investor, you've got to have a blog. So then and there, he whipped out his laptop and uh, on a Wi-Fi network in the restaurant, created a blog for me and gave me the name VC Mike and said, so here you go, here's how it works. I expect to see you blogging. And uh, so, because I really had no choice, I started a blog, and actually, it's been it's been a lot of fun, and uh, I really have uh, I, I really enjoy it. Right, great. Well, I encourage all the listeners to uh, to go follow VC uh, Mike. Hey, and, and in that blog, sometimes you refer to one O leaders and two O leaders. Uh, who are some of the two O leaders? Uh, uh, especially maybe some of the more uh, you know. Uh, Less famous ones that we might uh, we might think of as as you know the leaders in 2.0. Well, boy, um, you know I, I think you have to first um, give a tip of the hat to the, the well known leaders. It's clear um, that uh, that Facebook is is kind of redefining the platform in a lot of important ways, and um, uh, people have different views on this, but I'm, I'm a pretty firm believer that. Twitter's got a very, very important role um, in in the uh, in the years to come. The, the social web, but beyond that, there's boy, there's there's a lot of really interesting uh, interesting stuff happening. Um, one example I'll, I'll I'll throw out there is a company called Get Satisfaction, which um, uh, started by some some great you know two O entrepreneurs who uh, had a vision that. Uh, the, the whole emergence of, of thriving communities on the web and conversation on the web should um, really be applied to the category of, of businesses. And, and um, you know, why shouldn't we be creating communities that aren't just social around uh, personal interests, but around consumer interests? And so they, they started this business and uh, have been tremendously successful. They have millions of people who are going to um, kind of topic areas around particular companies and commenting on products and, and critiquing and answering questions, and they are in the process of, uh, of converting that into uh, a business now where um, companies such as um, Zappos and Google and you know, some very big brands are able to, to actually use these communities that have already been seeded and created to interact with them and to provide customer service and, and uh, you know, talk about product development. Very, really cool um, kind of application of the social web to more, more commercial things. Um, I uh, um, would, would be remiss if I didn't put a plug in there for at least a couple of portfolio companies. Of course. I mentioned Matt Mullenweg of, of, of WordPress. I really am very uh, excited about the prospects there. I, I, I think uh, what WordPress is doing is, is creating a new platform um, for uh, the development of, of, of websites. And one of the very interesting and exciting things about what they're doing is um, 
in addition to you know creating a, a service that, that will allow people to create blogs and sites and pages, the ecosystem around WordPress has just exploded, and uh, you know you, you have a whole layer of, of companies that are building tools and services to allow you and me and companies and, and various people um, lots and lots of, of tools and, and plugins to make the whole process of, of creating content on the web um, uh, much much easier and more functional. And um, you know, there's, there's there's another company out there which disclosure I'm, I'm also an investor in. It just recently came out of stealth mode, but we're really excited about it. The company is called Lowlaps, and uh, it, it's a handful of young guys in San Francisco. And what they've done is they're seizing on the excitement around uh, the Facebook and Facebook applications. Decided that in, instead of trying to build another Facebook application, instead they would build tools that allow Facebook users to build their own applications. And they've been at it now for a little bit less than a year and have um, grown to the point where they're actually the largest Facebook application company. And I think um, it's a very exciting, exciting opportunity for those guys um, to kind of put, put the capability of developing social apps into, into the user's hands, and, and I'm expecting uh, really interesting things from them. Wow, that's a, it's going to just you know I get the feeling sometimes it's going to be like an you know a, a digital renaissance almost because with uh, companies like that and and this move too to a highly visual and video formatted social web it's it's just going to have no limits and and how about your views on the the visualization of the web? Well, um, you know, uh, it's it's I, I think an important piece of what's going on. Um, what what you're seeing is as the second generation of tools um, kind of comes out, and and uh, a lot of the entrepreneurial ener- energies over the last couple of years goes to making it much much easier to do things like integrate video, integrate um, uh, you know web services around flash content, around audio, around you know all kinds of different uh, you know dynamic content. It's becoming um, you know as easy as it was a year ago to put a, a post up on a blog to create you know very very highly visual graphic and, and interactive um, websites. And um, I actually, as we're sitting here, I just saw it pop up on my screen and an email from some guys who are. Um, Starting a company out in San Francisco, uh, Jeff Veen and Brian Mason were some of the founders of Adaptive Path. They created a company called Small Batch, which is just getting started, but doing some fascinating stuff around um, making it very, very easy for web designers to create you know, very high-end graphical design, whereas a year ago it would have taken, uh, or two years ago it would have taken a couple hundred thousand dollars in several months, and replacing that with, you know, with maybe a week. So I think that's... Um, Definitely an, an exciting, uh, uh, an exciting prospect. You know, when we come back uh, after our break, I, I'd like to just extend a little bit about, you know, uh, from a venture point of view. Uh, you know, maybe it's going to be a different model. Maybe you don't have to put tens of millions of dollars into these companies. Maybe a great idea can move very quickly because you're talking about such lightning speed to market. So uh, we're going to take a short break and come back with Mike Hirschland, partner at. Polaris Ventures in Boston, and we'll be right back with Market Edge. Market Edge will continue in just a moment. XYZ with affiliate market. Are you an affiliate? If yes, you'll pay me. No if, as, or maybes. Get paid daily. Make a mad dash. Sign up is a flash. Quickly convert the clicks into cash. Affiliate 
market and network is first place. I cut to the chase. It's all performance based. Listen to what I'm telling you, cause this what you better do. Join as a publisher and maximize your revenue. Think we agreed that money is what you need. Indeed, you can get paid from sales and leads. Not one thing lacking. Don't get it cracking. Even comes with state of the art tracking. Ready to start? You can do it a couple ways. Eight six six X Y seven page. It's toll free. Tell me what you waiting on. So log on to xy7.com. Your company's website sucks. You know it. Everybody knows it. So get a to-do list to fix it. On Target, a subscription service from Future Now and Brian Eisenberg monitors your website 24-7. Analyzing the actions of every potential customer. It gives you a to-do list. It tells you exactly what to fix and how to fix it. So that more of your visitors do what you need them to do. On Target pricing starts at $1,000 a month. See more at futurenowinc.com slash on Target. Hey, you got the number for Cherry's Pizza? Look it up on local page. Localpages.com. Well, what if I wanted a business number in Miami? Localpages.com. Can people find your business online? Be seen with Localpages.com on every local listing in all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, MSN, and Ask. With over 6 billion quality searches a month and bids starting as low as one cent, get connected with local consumers at the exact moment that they're looking for you. San Francisco, Green Bay, London. I told you. Localpages.com. List your business on Localpages.com now and get $100 in free local advertising. Localpages.com, bringing your neighborhood to you. Affiliate marketing is changing rapidly. Stay ahead of the trends with Affiliate Marketing Insider. Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the Affiliate Marketing Channel. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. From the pinnacle of the marketing landscape, we now return to Market Edge. Once again, here's your host, Larry Weber. Welcome back to Market Edge. This is your host, Larry Weber, and I'm here today with Mike Hirschland, general partner at Polaris Ventures, about the future of just about everything. <laughs> and uh, Mike, you know, before the break, I was sort of posing this question because I was just thinking to myself while you were describing a couple of these new hot companies, especially like the Facebook application uh, tool company to let you know others do their own applications. You know, it sounds to me like these kinds of companies don't need, like, from sort of 1.0, you and I remember, you know, companies would raise 10, 15 million, and then they'd work for a year or two, and they'd need another, you know, 10 or 15 million. Is this, is this true, or, or am I just missing the companies that are getting loads of money? <laughs> well, you know, I, I, yes. I mean, the short answer is it's absolutely true. Um, it, it is just an order of magnitude less expensive today to build a thriving Internet company than it was five years ago. There's no question about it. And, you know, we see that every day. Lots and lots of really fun, exciting, and promising companies getting started on uh, either nothing or, uh, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars from friends and family and really making a lot of progress and, you know, being able to, to go the distance on um, a relatively small amount of capital. So I think... There is um, there's definitely a, a, a change in the model. Um, the, the, I guess the asterisk I would put beside that, though, is um, in some portion of the success stories where you know, companies are started on a very little bit of capital and really get momentum and, and scale, um, we're seeing uh, either a need or an opportunistic use of a much larger amount of capital to really put the accelerator on. And... Um, whether it's for infrastructure or for for rapid customer acquisition or for company acquisition, that that's something that um, that that is happening with some frequency. So, 
the couple of examples in my own portfolio, for example, uh, WordPress, the company's automatic, um, was started on a seed round of about a million dollars and got to cash positive and has been cash flow positive ever since. However, about a year ago, um, they had some um, combination of some acquisition interest and some very interesting strategic opportunities for the company. And uh, the company decided to, to do a very large round, raising $30 million, uh, which we participated very aggressively in. And um, since then, has uh, done some pretty substantial expansion, has made several acquisitions, has really doubled down on their infrastructure, um, and has a you know nice bank account to to uh, to have behind it. Twitter's another example where um, you know started for next to nothing, um, haven't yet figured out the business model. If they wanted to, clearly some time ago could have said, we'll offer some um, some revenue uh, services and get the cash flow positive. However, made the decision that they'd rather go for broke and really build a platform, uh, take more time to think through the business model, and raise capital to to cover their infrastructure costs. So the answer is yes and no. No question that you can do it, but in success scenarios, sometimes you actually want to raise capital that you otherwise might not have. Well, you also you also raise a important point that looks like it's changed in in VC land as well, which is, you know, it's not now just nine out of ten companies you invest in to sell them, you know, and that there's a real possibility that these are platform companies that can eat up other companies and actually become quite large brands themselves, you know. Well, you know, I think I think right now there is an opportunity. Well, put it differently. There's no doubt in my mind that a handful of new platform businesses will emerge from, you know, what today is the early stage scene. Um, knock on wood, I hope one or two of them come from my portfolio, but, but it, it, it's, um, it is an exciting time because I think the shift is a, is a very real one. Hey, you know, on the other side of it, you've said before that you believe a company can thrive using free services. What are the benefits of, obviously being free, but what are the benefits and risks of relying on free services? Well, um, you know, the, the most obvious benefit, as you said, is it's free. Um, yeah. There's a, a second less visible benefit, which is, um, you know, very often uh, free services are part of a um, a, a movement or a platform that has a whole ecosystem of, of third-party de- developers. So oftentimes, um, I- in adopting the, the, the base service for free, you're also um, entering into an ecosystem where, where you're going to be able to get lots and lots of, of services and tools and, and other value adds um, by, by a you know, broad variety of providers. So I, I think that's a, a huge plus. Um, but you know, there, there's definitely risks. Depending on who you're getting it from, the terms of service, you know, might not be able to give you things like quality of service assurances, customer service, um, and, and other uh, security guarantees. So, I, you know, I, I think there oftentimes are risks, and you need to do a cost-benefit analysis. Who do you think is going to offer the most valuable paid services? Platform companies or, or third-party application companies? That's a great question, Larry. I actually put a post on my uh, my blog last week. I called it the billion dollar question. Um, and I, I don't mean to dodge the question, but I genuinely believe that um, the answer is yes. Um, but in the end, the, the ones who really survive and emerge as leaders are going to do so by striking the right balance between offering third parties the opportunity to develop to develop and, and make a lot of money by providing you know uh, premium services uh, I, I think that's critical to anyone who's going to win the platform game will do so by 
handing off and create, enabling the most value capture by other companies. Um, however, I think the way they really succeed is by keeping one or two of the most valuable services for themselves. So it's, it's going to be a balance, and, and I think the company that, that is able to do both is the one that wins in the end. Hey, you know, changing directions again a little bit, I saw in your, you know, your background, I didn't know this about you before, but you know, your work on uh, you know, uh, Microsoft and some of the Senate hearings and all that, and I can't help but ask you, because this week they spent that ridiculous amount of money that I think they should have given to charity to really announce Bing. And, yeah. you know, it just, it just seems to me that Microsoft is acting sort of like, you know, the, the nerdy dad that's trying to be cool at the teenager party. And what's your view on Microsoft Bing and, and the future of Microsoft? Well, um Huge question. Uh, I'm, to be honest with you, I'm surprised they haven't figured out a way to to um, pull off a, ya- a Yahoo combination. Um, I think it makes a ton of sense. I think uh, I, I guess my my um, somewhat uninformed opinions. I haven't looked at it closely. Is but I think it's going to be hard for them to uh, to catch up in the in the search space. Um, I think. Uh, there, there really are network effects from scale, and, and, and Google is able to uh, provide great search and to monetize search so well because everyone uses Google. I think that's going to be a really tough, tough nut to crack. Um, I would be more focused on looking at the next generation and, and thinking about what are the other major um, you know, areas of, uh, of focus and strategic value on the web. And um, I'd, I'd be cranking up my M&A team and, 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 and finding who are the the emerging leaders, and, and, and not just as businesses, but also uh, entrepreneurs, and, and try and figure out how you can um, more successfully integrate emerging businesses and platforms into, you know, a very much of a corporate culture. Yeah, I concur with you on that. Hey, uh, uh, just a quick question. Is Google a monopoly? Well, there's a technical definition of monopoly. Uh, it has to do with market power, and um, I haven't examined it closely, but uh, my guess is in, in the area of search, they probably come very close to having market power. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I haven't been following it that closely. I don't know what the current you know, prevailing wisdom is of either their lawyers or the government, um, but they certainly have market power in the in the you know layman sense of the word. Whether they do from a legal perspective, not clear. But you know, important important note on that, Larry, for people to remember, you know, having market power and being a monopoly is not in any way illegal or improper. I mean, it's the, it's the objective of of capitalism. Um, right. It's just that once you do, there's a range of activities that that you're not supposed to do that that abuse market power. So if you know if it is the case that Google has market power, God bless them. They got it there because you know, they're a great business. It's a question of, you know, what you can and can't do with that power that becomes, uh, you know, the important one. Right. Hey, in a few weeks we're going to have some guys on from the Harvard Berkman Center for uh, Internet and Society, and they've started uh, this this thing called the Law Lab uh, down in Cambridge. And uh, you're being a lawyer or uh, even having that background, their premise is – that our laws are outdated in, in, in a social web and a web 3.0, and we're going to have to really change the way we approach that, you, at least from a high level. Do you concur with that? 
Well, I'm a little bit torn on that. I, I, I think it would be nice if there was a way uh, to, uh, um, you know, update the, the legal structure as it applies to, to all of this stuff. Um, however, my, my, I guess I voted with my feet 10 years ago, and my view is um, the, the legal and political machinery is, is such a morass, and it's kind of inevitable that it is, that you can try and, and influence it and, and spend your time and energy, you know, uh, making it work better for, for what you care about. Um, or you can just focus on the business side and, and, and try and you know get into the market and, and execute and, and hope that the legal and policy framework is, is a friend and not a foe. And I, my, my view is much much more interesting and exciting to, to focus on that. So I, I you know to be honest with you, I kind of I, I ran from DC with uh, with my hair <laughs> on fire, not really wanting to be involved in that whole whole machinery uh, anymore. So. That's that, that's that's where I come out. That's a good answer. Hey, I heard you're a Twitter addict. What, you know, what do you like about Twitter, and what do you not like about Twitter? <laughs> well, there's two things I like about it. One is um, I am uh, I'm what some call a coastally challenged VC. Um, I, I live in Boston, and you know my family's here in Boston, but uh, a lot of my investing activity is in San Francisco, and uh, as a result. I'm physically, uh, you know, in proximity of the people I work with less frequently. And uh, one of the things I love about Twitter, it's, it's a fun way to keep in touch and kind of feel like uh, I, I'm there even when I'm not there. Um, and even if it's just random little tidbits, it, it, it kind of helps. Um, the other thing that I love about Twitter is it's, it's almost replaced my, uh, my RSS reader by going through my... Uh, my Twitter feed in the morning, I tend to uh, find all of the interesting articles that have been uh, posted or written in the last day. Um, and what, one of the, the behaviors around Twitter is most of the people I follow, whenever they read something interesting, they post it on Twitter. And as a result, for me to go through Twitter, I get you know, lots of really interesting little uh, tidbits and posts and articles, and it's a great way to stay current. So those are the things I love. The thing I hate is it, it, it still is overwhelming. Um, you know, it's, it's getting the stream. Um, it's still unfiltered, and you just get tons and tons of volume. And so I think uh, a year from now, it's going to be a much more effective tool because there's going to be really good filters. I agree with you totally. Hey, uh, that was a fast half hour. I've got to ask you one last qu uh, question. It's a little more personal, but... Uh, sure. Having been a star on the Crimson football team a while back, how, how has that affected the way you, you have succeeded at business and, and, and worked in the venture world? That's a great question. I haven't really thought about it this way, uh, that question. Um, you know, I, I, I guess I would say a couple of things, a couple of lessons I took away from my, my football experience. One is, uh, particularly something like football, it is an intensely team sport. You know, if, if you're playing end, uh, you know, you care a lot that, that the tackle next to you and the cornerback behind you are, you know, are going to have your back and do what they're supposed to do and, and vice versa. And, and you, you know, you're really depending on your teammates. Um, I, I think business is, is very much the same way. And the way we operate at Polaris is we really um, uh, put a lot of emphasis on, uh, on, on partnership and, and, you know, having a team that uh, is going to work together. The second thing is... Uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of my football experience that, that, frankly, was not a lot of fun. You know, practice Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and, and 
uh, you know, hitting the sleds and all that stuff. That was not fun. Uh, you, you dreaded practice. And, you know, the, the thing I learned the hard way is that venture business is a lot the same way. You know, from 2001 to 2004, I probably spent 80% of my time digging out companies, uh, you know, investments that I had made in, in the bubble and trying to get them to safety. And honestly, it w- wasn't a lot of fun. It wasn't a lot of glamour. It was just kind of hard work and resulted in failure as much as, uh, as, much as anything else. So, but... Uh, you know, you, 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 you persevere and you, you figure out what it's going to take. And that was a lesson, that, you know, that you take from, uh, from athletics as well. Is it's, it's putting your nose to the grindstone through the challenging stuff that's going to allow you to, to have fun on game day. Well, Mike, you're also a star in the next generation of venture capital. Thanks uh, for being on Market Edge Show today with all of us. Thanks, Larry. It's been a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. All right, and uh, that was Mike Hirschland, general partner at Polaris Ventures. Do follow his blog, VC Mike. And uh, this is Larry Weber, your host for Market Edge. I want to thank everybody for listening and tune in again in two weeks at 12 noon Eastern in the U.S. to webmasterradio.fm for another show of Market Edge. Till then, bye-bye. Bye-bye.